right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is September 18th, 2022. And last week, well, of course, uh, Michael is back with us. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good, doing good. Yeah. It's yeah. starting to get uh, a bit awesome here in Sweden. But still, before the show, I was sitting outside in the sun and drank some coffee. So it was really nice. Yeah, and your coffee didn't freeze? No, no, it's not <laughs> cold here. Not cold yet. Not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. All right. And you know, last week, Alfred Schaefer, we had a special show with him because he has just been released from prison in Germany. And uh, you know he he dared to challenge the Holocaust scenario in Germany, and he spent four years in jail. So we did a special show with him, and thank you for your patience, Michael. Uh, it's a, really important for him to get his message out. He's still gung ho, uh, you know, against the Jewish world conspiracy, and uh, we'll hope hopefully be working with Alfred more and more in the future. So, but today. We're going to resume our study of the Tavistock Institute, and uh, I put the link in the chat room, and we're also going to do a couple of brief introductory uh, links that also uh, I put in the chat room. One, the first is the conversation about the manipulation of the American mind, Edward Bernays, and the birth of public relations. So most people don't realize how important, and he's a, he's a central figure in the Tavistock book by Dr. John Coleman. So I'm going to quickly read it's a very short article about Edward Bernays and the manipulation of the American mind. All right, and this is from theconversation.com. The Manipulation of the American Mind, Edward Bernays, and the Birth of Public Relations. And the author has this to say. First of all, there's a, a billboard, a, a photograph of a billboard with a, a man and a woman both uh, smoking a Lucky Strike. <laughs> the slogan is, Lucky in Love. It says, it's toasted, whatever that means, no threat irritation, no cough, all right? So Edward Bernays uh, was involved in creating the advertising for Lucky Strike. The author says, quote, the most interesting man in the world regarding Mr. Bernays, reach out, oh no, no, that's one of his slogans, reach out and touch someone. Have you ever heard that one, Michael? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, reach, yeah maybe, I'm a bit too yeah. young for it, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very common slogan invented by Bernays. How about this one? Finger licking good. No, no, I'm not. No, you, you, you don't have Kentucky Fried Chicken in Sweden? No, not, it's not so well, well uh, what to say, okay. spread out in Sweden. Yeah, finger licking good. Uh, such advertising slogans have become fixtures of American culture. And each year, millions now tune into the Super Bowl as much for the ads <laughs> as for, and the halftime show as for the football. While no single person can claim exclusive credit for the ascendancy of advertising in American life, no one deserves credit more than the most of us have never heard of, Edward Bernays. I first encountered Bernays through an article I was writing on propaganda, and it quickly became clear that he was one of the 20th century's foremost salesmen of ideas. Of course, so in this sense, he's taken the place of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who's, uh, he started out as a sloganeer, 
and he, but he was his slogans were good. <laughs> Bernays' slogans are for the corporate institutions of the world, right? The fact that 20 years have elapsed since his death provides a fitting opportunity to re-examine his legacy. Bernays pioneered public relations, often referred to as the father of public relations. Bernays, in 1928, published his seminal work, Propaganda, in which he argued that public relations is not a gimmick, but a necessity, yeah, a necessity for the corporate world, in which he says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Yeah, I guess the democracy is ruled by propaganda. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, and our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind. Well, that's a very good definition of propaganda, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, that's what I also want to say from the horse's mouth. Maybe when he also describes here this this unseen government, this mold, this that we also speak so much about. But here, he himself right. it says it. He yeah, comes from it, invented it. Now the question I had was Bernays Jewish, and it looks like he is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I can tell if you, I this, I send you a little video. You can see that Bernays, uh, he's older. I think uh, in his family line, you have Sigmund Freud. Oh, yeah. Oh, it mentions it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, just a couple more paragraphs here. Bernays came by his beliefs honestly. Really? <laughs> no, he didn't. He's a Jew. Born in Austria in 1891, the year Sigmund Freud published one of his earliest papers. Bernays was also Freud's nephew. Twice over. His mother was Freud's sister, Anna. And his father, Eli Bernays, was the brother of Freud's wife, Martha, yeah, it's incest. The year after his birth, the Bernays family moved to New York, and Bernays later graduated from Cornell with a degree in agriculture. Cornell, of course, is in New York State. But instead of farming, well, do Jews farm? He chose a career in journalism. Yeah, tax farming, maybe. Eventually helped the Woodrow Wilson administration promote the idea that U.S. efforts in World War I were intended to bring democracy to Europe. So Bernays invented that lie. Uh, make the world safe for democracy. Have you heard that slogan, Michael? Oh, yeah, that, that one I, I've heard. Yeah, uh, okay. And, um, but it's not that is that is only safe for um, for Jewish bankers and the Rothschilds yeah. to have their central banking operations. Yeah, so so he got his grubby little hands into the corporate world and the world of corporate advertising and mind manipulation. Okay, Bernays rebrands propaganda, having seen how effective propaganda could be during war. Bernays wondered whether it might prove equally useful during peacetime. Well, there hasn't been peacetime since Bernays began this propaganda campaign. Yet, propaganda had acquired a somewhat pejorative connotation, which would be further magnified during World War II. So Bernays promoted the term public relations, known by most people in the English-speaking world as PR. Okay. 
And just about every corporation in the world has a PR department, right? Especially banks, (laughs) right? Drawing on the insights of his Uncle Sigmund. Oh, Uncle Sigmund. So we have Uncle Joe, who ran the communist world during the early part of the 20th century. We have Uncle Sigmund as the developer of what? Psychoanalysis and propaganda. A relationship Bernays was always quick to mention. He developed an approach he dubbed the engineering of consent. He provided leaders the means to control and regiment the masses according to our will, who's our, the Jews, without their knowing about it, unquote. To do so, it was necessary to appeal not to the rational part of the mind, but to the unconscious or to people's emotions, basically. Bernays acquired an impressive list of clients ranging from manufacturers such as General Electric, Procter & Gamble, the American Tobacco Company, to media outlets like CBS, and even politicians such as Calvin Coolidge. To counteract President Coolidge's stiff image, Bernays organized pink pink breakfasts, he got that idea from the Catholics, and White House concerts with Al Jolson, another Jew, and other Broadway performers, With Bernays' help, Coolidge won the 1924 election. So, again, it doesn't matter which side the Jews are on, okay? They support both sides. They support the Republicans and the Democrats. And whoever wins, the Jews win. Over to you, Michael. Yeah, that's how this this upside down world yeah. has become as you say they that they always want to be on the on the winning side because they are, are always on both sides that is promoted that's right that's right that's the, been the tactic since 1815 when the rothschilds uh supported both sides of the napoleonic wars and this is how they have taken over the world both financially and now of course regarding war and manufacturers of uh, you know, military products, and now propaganda. The the Jews are masters of all three. And, of course, Hollywood. How much of the world has been manipulated and distracted by Hollywood and influence? And, you know, the uh, how should I put this? How people mimic Hollywood actors and actresses to the detriment of the Christian world, right? That This is where the Jews excel. They absolutely excel in this area. Okay, now you also had a. Um... Um, I have a little. It's a little. Um, okay. What is it? It's from a book called Let Go by uh, Fenelon. So it's in letter thirty-one. I think it was. Uh, um, I think it was up- uplifting. So I want to to share it also oh, with okay. you. Okay. So this one is called "Don't Reject the Gifts of God Because of the Channel He Uses." Uh, what does it matter from what quarter our light and help come? The source is the important point, not the conduit. Uh, and the best conduit is that which exercises our faith the most and puts to shame our human wisdom. Such a conduit makes us simple and humble, and it enables us to see the poverty of our own power. Receive them. Uh, whatever he bestows, do it in dependence upon the spirit that blows where it will. We know not from where it comes, nor where it goes. And that is John 3, 8. We should, ha- we should not seek to know the secrets of God. Let us only be obedient to what he is revealing. 
too much reasoning is a great distraction. <laughs> reason, the unbelieving wise, quench the inward spirit, just like the wind extinguish a candle. After being with them for a while, we realize that our hearts are dry and that our minds have lost their focus. Shun fellowship with such men. They are full of danger to you. Yes. There are some who appear to be meditative, but their, but their appearance deceives us. It is easy to mistake a certain warmth of the imaginations for reflection. Such persons are eager in the pursuit of some outward good to which they are attached. They are distract, um, distracted by, the, by this anxious desire, and they are uh, perpetually occupied in um, discussions and reasonings. Yet... They know nothing of the inward peace and silence that listens to God. They are actually more dangerous than others because <laughs> their distractions is more disguised. Search their depth and you will find them restless, fault-finding, ambitious, and constantly occupied with external matters. They are harsh and crude in all their desires, easily annoyed, full of their own thoughts, and resentful uh, of the slightest um, contradiction. In a word, they are spiritual busybodies, annoyed yeah, right. at everything. Well, and actually, yeah, they're actually almost, filled with Jewish thoughts, not their own thoughts. They think that those are their own thoughts. Sorry to interrupt. Back to you. Yeah, and almost always annoying others. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think that is just just this to try to keep uh, uh, also you, that I mean, as I said, to go where where the spirit leads you, and that that is not uh, as I also say here. This that we always thinking we always reasoning we are i don't know sometimes we hear stuff and then we start to i don't know maybe doubt because now right. i can't, can't be that don't be silly so you know yeah. when you get those uh, um short uh, and to be but uh, also me myself i know that i have to be better at that i have to improve there yeah to not, uh, but it's just uh, i think it's just important to keep to be in the spirit in those in those time we are now those the topic in this dystopic world that the jews have created right well this uh article really demonstrates the liberal mind how easily they are manipulated how uh how annoying they are in their busybodying all over the place right uh, the uh, black lives matter and antifa liberalism and socialism in general these people have no idea that they're utterly brainwashed and are being led around by the nose in everything they do. They think they're free, but they're not. Now, the same goes actually for the Judeo-Christians because the Jews have successfully created this false narrative called Judeo-Christianity in which everybody has to follow the Jews and their claim that they are God's chosen people and the Israel of the Bible, and therefore we must support the, that banded state, that, that totally corrupt state called Israel, right? So is it only those of us in identity that see through the, all these lies, or there, are there a few others, <laughs> right? You know? uh, it's, it feels like there are very, very few, though, that mm -hmm. do do seems to, otherwise, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm a bit uh, negative, I don't know, but... People are pretty. They're not. They're well, pretty dumb. Yeah. Well, as the article says, the the because of the manufactured materialism of our era, okay, which goes back to all of this propaganda and advertising, and of course 
mind manipulation into colleges and grade schools and high schools that uh, our the world, not just our people, but the entire world has developed a materialistic consciousness, lost their spirituality, and lost their connection to the Bible, which constantly tells us, if you obey my laws, you will not suffer the, the way the world suffers, right? Okay, you may be ignored, but I will protect you if you obey my laws. That's a really a minority, even, even within identity. Not all of our people are inclined to obey Yahweh's laws. They want to lash out against a Jew, which is very understandable, right? <laughs> but it doesn't work. You have, to, you have to be organized in order to lash out against a Jew. Uh, but interestingly, Michael, the, the only force on this planet that has successfully defeated the international Jew was America twice, the American Revolution and the War of 1812. Okay, those are the only two successful campaigns against the international Jew. The white race has lost every other campaign. All right, so we have to do these things. And the slogan of the American Revolution was, no king but Jesus. If we do not organize according to Christian principles, we will lose again. Over to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then if we put those other, we have to put the correct values in front. That's right. Also. We have to have... Have that is his will that should be done, not because that we we won't protect our you know right. money wise or whatever it can be materialistic uh, um, that we have those kind of pursuits. That is that is not what he will bless. He will not help that because that's not um, that is. Uh, I believe he will not help that if that is the uh, the what to say the the reason for it. The reason should be for righteousness and for his and for his um, his law and for all the unrighteousness has been done in, in our nations and right. all the. And all the murders of the unborn children, of all the rapes, of all the of all the all the what is saying all the blood that has flowed in our nations that have not been just had not been we have not uh, what to say uh, it is cursed because we have not uh, um, we have not taken taking care of those people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, Paul Eric says the mommy kami, right? Uh, they believe in a nanny state. They believe in big government will solve all our problems. No, we in identity and most most constitutionalists know that big government is the worst thing you could possibly have because it's too easily manipulated from the top down, right? That's why we have a, a constitutional republic w which is based on the concept of local rule, right? Whereas democracy... All that means is the will of the majority. Well, okay, so who controls their minds, right? The Jew, the Jew propagandist controls their minds. And that's the real problem. They're such masters of manipulation, propaganda, lies, and deceit that there is no way we can match them. There's simply no way we can match them. The only thing we can do is encourage our people to obey Yahweh's laws and to wake up to how they've been manipulated. So our, our challenge here is to wake people up, all right? So with that in mind, why don't we get into the Dr. John Coleman's outstanding book on the Tavistock Institute, okay? So uh, why don't we just alternate paragraphs here, Michael, okay? And... Uh, I'll say, I'll start with chapter one, and its uh, a title is The Founding of the World's Premier Brainwashing Institute, and the first paragraph says, 
from its modest but vitally important beginning at Wellington House. The Tavistock Institute for Human Relations expanded rapidly become the, to become the world's premier top-secret brainwashing institute. How this rapid progression was accomplished needs to be explained. Now, let me in- interrupt here before I turn you over to the second paragraph. The term brainwashing was not invented until World War II because that was a communist tactic in, in Red China and they were brainwashing our soul, our captured soldiers, and that was the term that the communist Red Chinese used. And so, but nevertheless, uh, he's using the, he has the word brainwashing in quotes. But now it's become part of our lexicon. Everybody knows what brainwashing means. Back to you, Michael. Yeah, and what though our people they believe is brainwashing is that the, that the inhabitants of the Third Reich were heavily brainwashed. Right. Instead of they are, you know, say our own people today are the most brainwashed people Amen. in the West. We are. They are so brainwashed. They are. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and but of course it's the same thing that uh, the, the fallen one Nachash did to Eve. <laughs> he, he tricked her into believing a lie. And now we have uh, mass media, which is nothing but lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, uh, the modern science of mass manipulations of public opinion was born at Wellington House, London. The lusty infant being midwifed by Lord uh, Nor- Northern Life and Lord Rothmere. Okay, so that's, yeah, Nor- Lord Northcliffe. And Lord Rothmere, I believe Rothmere is Jew. I've never uh, maybe heard the name Northcliffe, but we'll, hopefully we'll find out who these two guys are. But I think we can assume in every case that these guys, guys are either Jews or employees of Jews. Okay, third paragraph. The British monarchy, Lord Rothschild, and the Rockefellers were responsible for funding the venture. The papers we were privileged to examine showed that the purpose of those at Wellington House was to affect, yeah, probably Wellington House. Yeah, remember we talked about the Wellington's victory at Waterloo was the beginning of the British, or I should say the Jewish manipulation of the world by financing both sides of every, of every argument, right? So I think that's why they probably named it Wellington House. Well, who, uh, which was to effect a change in the opinion of the British people who are adamantly opposed to war with Germany, a formidable task that was accomplished by opinion-making through polling. The staff consisted of Arnold Toynbee, a future director of studies at the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Lords Northcliffe and the Americans, Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I think he's wrong here. Uh, we found out that Bernays was not an American. He was a uh, an Austrian who moved to America. Okay, so probably, uh, what's his name? Coleman didn't uh, investigate the, that, the background of Edward Bernays. Okay, back over to you. Thank you. So Bernays was born in Vienna on November the 22nd, okay. 1891, um, as the nephew of Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis, regarded by many as the father of public relations, although the title properly belongs to uh, Wilde Musenberg, Bernays pioneered 
the use of psychology and other social science to shape and form public opinions so that the public thought such manufactured opinions were uh, their own. That's right. Very few of us think our own thoughts, <laughs> right? It's, most of it is manipulated. So next paragraph. If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, it is now possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without them knowing it, unquote, Bernays postulated. He called this technique engineering consent. One of his best-known techniques of achieving this goal was the indirect use of what he called third-party authorities to shape the desired opinions, quote, if you can influence the leaders, either with or without their conscious cooperation, you automatically influence the group which they sway. This technique he called opinion-making, unquote. Mm-hmm. So, um, perhaps we can now begin to understand how it was that Wilson, Roosevelt, Clinton, Bush, the elder and the younger could so easily lead America into disastrous wars in which its people should never have become involved. Amen. The joint British and American participants concentrated their efforts on techniques as yet not tried out to mobilize support for the war looming on the horizon. Okay, what's which war is he talking about? Well, maybe we'll find out. I guess we're we're talking about World War One. I? I think so. All right, back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, as previously stated, the British people did not want war and said so, but um, Toynbee, Lippmann and Bernays expected uh, to change that by applying techniques designed to manipulate public opinions through the use of polling. Herein, we provide a review of the method that we are devised and executed to uh, bring Great Britain and the United States into the First uh, World War, plus the techniques that were put into practice between uh, that two world wars and beyond, as will be seen, um, propaganda was to play a major role. Yeah, all the world's a stage and the Jews own the theater. One of the main objectives at at Tavistock was to achieve the degradation of women. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, they created the feminist movement. Tavistock recognized that Jesus Christ has brought a new place of respect in the order of civilization to womanhood, which prior to his coming had not been present. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. So let's see. Page three. Yeah. Uh, After Christ's ministry, uh, womanhood gained their respect uh, and a high place in society absent from pre-Christian civilization. Of course, it can be argued that such an elevated status existed in the Greek and Roman empires, and that would be true uh, to a certain extent, but not to the extent that womanhood was uh, elevated in post-Christ society. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct, and he should point out it's only in the West, in the East, and in Africa, and even in the, uh, what do you call it, the South American culture, uh, that uh, that elevation was never achieved by women. Okay, uh, the what do you call it? The, the Latino culture, uh, macho culture, uh, s- still sees women nothing but nothing as sex objects. All right, and uh, so does the rest of the world. It's only in the West, in the Christian West, 
that women achieved any kind of equality with men. You know, like the right to vote? <laughs> okay. Continuing. Tavistock sought to change, change that, and the process began immediately after World War I. The Eastern Orthodox Church, which the Rus, Viking princes of Moscow, brought back from Constantinople, revered and respected womanhood and their experience with the Khazarians, whom they subsequently defeated and drove out of Russia, left them determined to protect womanhood in Russia, and we call that chivalry. Okay? But chivalry goes back to the early days of Britain, and actually it's in, in the scriptures, chivalry, because where Paul says we're supposed to treat our wives as if they were part of our own body, right? So there's a, a level of equality. Where I don't think any other religion teaches anything like that, okay? All right, back to you. The founder of the Romanov dynasty, Michael Romanov, was the scion of, scion yeah. Yeah. of a noble family that had defended Russia on the basis of of a Christian country. From 1613, the Romanovs sought to uh, ennoble Russia and imbue it with a great spirit of Christianity, which uh, meant also protection for and the honoring of Russian womanhood. Very good. The princes of Moscow under Prince Dmitry Donskoy earned the unremitting hatred of the Rothschilds for Russia because of Donskoy's defeat and expulsion of the Khazarian hordes that inhabited the lower regions of the Volga. This barbaric warrior nation of mysterious Indo-Turk origin, and it should also include Mongols, had adopted the Judaic religion on passage of a decree by King Bulan after the religion was approved by the chief Khazarian soothsayer, magician, sorcerer, David L. Roy. Now, that's a name unfamiliar to me, David L. Roy. So, you know, uh, Coleman is introducing a lot of personalities that most of us are not familiar with. This is a very important book, folks. All right, back to you, Michael. Yes, thank you. It was Elroy's personal flag, now called the Star of David. Ah! All right. That became the official flag of the Khazarian nation when they settled in Poland after being forced out of Russia. The flag was adopted by the Zionists as their standard and is still mistakenly called the Star of David. Christians make the error of confusion linking it with the Old Testament King David when, in fact, there is no relation between the two. Yeah, well, it is the star of David, but it's another David. It is not, yeah, right, it is not, another David. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, oh, it's not King King David. This is, um, what do I say, it uh, must be um, um, uh, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi David. There you go. And. Um, the hatred of Russia was compounded in 1612 uh, when the Romanov dynasty led a Russian army against Poland, taking back large parts of Poland that uh, formerly belonged to Russia. Okay, now that's interesting because now why did Russia invade Poland? I think the reason was because Poland had been utterly corrupted by Jews and the, the Polish uh, royalty and uh, you know, sub-royalty had basically allowed the Jews to run Poland. You know, every town was run by Jews. And so this uh, this tendency for Poland to be run by Jews trickled into Russia, where Jewish banksters and trinket sellers, <laughs> right, 
entered into Russia and started manipulating the Russian people. So that's my understanding of why Russia had to invade Poland. I may be wrong, but I think that's the reason. Okay, so the principal architect... Yeah, go ahead. Intervening, but also I know that uh, this is also just maybe a sidestep, but the Polish, the Polish, um, what do I say? Um, their their throne. They, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, it came from the Swedish throne. They were they were from the Vasa family, but he he was an um, Sigismund was his name. He was a staunch Catholic, and oh. Catholics were hated in Sweden, so they oh. threw him out. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was that is why we had also have this um, this um, what to say hatred between Sweden and Poland because ah. of this Catholic uh, Catholic that was always for Sigismund he wanted to take back he wanted to conquer Sweden also to so he could put on the throne and then put a Catholic in in Sweden as well but they never succeeded with that because uh, they never succeeded we but now of course now we have the this the what to say the daughters of of the harlot of the whore babylon and about to say uh, of the ba- of the catholic church we have the protestants so there have been the, right. the daughters of them but yeah so the the king the royalties in Poland traces their track from the swedish swedish uh, swedish throne right okay so so we actually have a tripartite division here we've got the catholics uh, we've got the Protestants and we've got the Orthodox, right? So the fact that the West was divided <laughs> divided in these three categories makes it easier. Again, where, wherever a division occurs between us, among us, the Jews will exploit it, all right? And so apparently that's what happened uh, in in Europe in these days, right? So, all right, let's continue. Where did we stop? <laughs> um, the hey, the, the must be the the, hey, no, the principal architect of enmity. Okay, is that my passage? Uh, yeah, I can take it. Okay, yeah. Uh, the principal architect of enmity brought to bear against Russia was the Rothschild dynasty, and it was this burning hatred that Tavistock used and uh-huh. channeled in its plan to destroy Western civilization. Okay, so again, the, even the Tavistock Institute is unknown to most people, right? This this shows how the secrecy of how propaganda works and who does it is tremendously maintained by the international Jew, right? And I almost went to the Tavistock Institute when I was in London in 2014 because I knew about it already, thanks to Dr. John Coleman. And wow, you know, that, that uh, well, here we are. Now we're starting to learn about it. Okay, the first opportunity created by Tavistock came in 1905 with the attack by the Japanese Navy that completely surprised the Russian fleet. The exercise was bankrolled by Jacob Schiff, the Wall Street banker who was related to Rothschild. Yeah, exactly. This was this um, this conflict between uh, uh, Russia and, ja- and and Japan, where yeah, where, where Jacob Schiff was funding the Japanese Navy, so he had uh, they had superior weapon compared to Russia. So right, yeah, and Russia was caught completely by surprise. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, the defeat of the Russian fleet at Port Arthur in a surprise attack marked the beginning of a pall of gloom that was about to roll in over Christian Europe. The Rockefeller Standard Oil Group, directed by Tavistock and with the aid of the 300 engineered 
um, the Russo-Japanese War. The money used to finance the operation came from Jacob Schiff, but was actually provided by the Rockefeller General Education Board, whose outward purpose was to finance um, Negro education. All of the propaganda and advertising uh, for the board was written and crafted by the social scientist at Tavistock, which was then called Wellington House. Huh, okay. In 1941, another Rockefeller Front organization, the Institute for Pacific Relations, gave large sums to its Japanese counterpart in Tokyo. The money was then funneled to a member of the imperial family by Richard Sorga, a Russian master spy for the purposes of inducing Japan to attack the United States at Pearl Harbor. Again, Tavistock was the originator of all of the IPR's publications. Very interesting. Um, although it was not yet evident, at, uh, as uh, Spengler was to mention in his monumental work, Published in 1936, it marked the beginning of the end of the old order. Contrary to most established accounts of history, the Russian Revolution was not the Russian Revolution at all, but the forging, uh, uh, forging ideology, uh, backed primarily by the uh, Committee of the 300 and its arm. The Tavistock Institute that was violently force, forced upon um, startled, unprepared, and dismayed Romanov family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, so the Spengler's book is called The Decline of the West. Now, it's very interesting that this decline coincides with the third woe of the Book of Revelation. The, third, the first two woes were, the initial, first woe was the initial uh, thrust of Mohammedanism, Okay, uh, and then the second second woe was uh, Mohammedanism's second uh, major thrust, uh, which was uh, uh, after the, the first thrust, and the third woe uh, was the decline of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, so the Jews succeeded in destroying our royalty of the various uh, houses of Europe. Now they were completely destroyed but they were taken over and manipulated by the international Jew when uh, the Tsar, not Tsar, the Kaiser of Germany abdicated, and of course the Tsar of Russia was defeated. So the only major house of royalty in Europe left was the British throne, but that was totally controlled by the Rothschilds, 100% controlled by the Rothschilds. Okay. So uh, next paragraph, it was political. Yeah, go ahead. And also last comment, I guess, also one of the, I believe, also one of the reasons for the First World War was also, of course, to, to topple uh, the Tsar because of he, right. he was the only one in Europe that didn't have a central bank. And his, and his economy was, was, was bloomstring. They had the most uh, refined um, laws regarding to work environmental. They were the most, they had very advanced in this, in this field. And they had, and they are, and what do you say, if comparing the, how the, people were living. They had it very good in Russia compared to the rest of Europe, because right. there you have the central banks controlled by Rothschild, right. not in Russia. So this was something that Tsar uh, Nikolaus II was, he was a, he was very good in, in this. He was, uh, yeah. 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 And, and, uh, and uh, Russia was actually liberating all the serfs from the feudalistic system, which was increasing the prosperity of Russia. Russia had lots of gold, 
lots of gold, and the Rothschilds also wanted that gold. Basically, the same, the the Russia had the same reason for attacking Russia as they had for attacking America during our civil war, which they orchestrated as well. Is to take a, take over our wealth, right, and manipulate our wealth. They had the same uh, strategy against Russia. It was political warfare, he says, low-grade warfare and psychological warfare on which Tavistock had become well-versed. As Winston Churchill was to remark, quote, They transported Lenin in a sealed truck, like a plague uh, bacillus, from Switzerland into Russia, end quote. And then, once established, quote, Lenin and Trotsky seized Russia by the hair of its heads. Right. Yeah, well said. But uh, we know that Winston Churchill, even though he expressed anti-communist sentiments, he was pro-Zionist all the way. So yeah. he was, he was, yeah, manipulated by the Jews too. Okay. So that, this two-faced of the Jewish mind. You have the communists and then you also have the Zionists. You have two, you have the two, two heads of the same coin. That's right. The, uh, or the two prongs of the viper's tongue. <laughs> all, right. all right. Much has been written, but nearly always in passing, as if it is a mere postscript to history about the sealed truck. I thought it was a train, but whatever. Uh, or sealed car, sealed train. He, he expresses three quotations here. That transported Lenin and his Bolshevik revolutionaries safely through the midst of war-torn Europe and deposited them in Russia there to begin their imported Bolshevik Revolution, so mistakenly referred to as the Russian Revolution. Uh, let's see. So documents um, the author was privileged to study at Wellington House and what was revealed in the Arnold uh, Toynbee papers and Bruce Lockhart's private papers led to the conclusion that without uh, Toynbee, Bruce Lockhart of M- MI6, British intelligence, and without the complete compliance of the least five European nations, ostensibly uh, loyal and friendly with the um, court at St. Petersburg, the yeah. mercialized Bolshevik revolution would have been stillborn. Right. Okay, and at the same time, it was this era that uh, an MI6 agent named Hemper, H-E-M-P-H-E-R, did the same thing in the uh, uh, Muslim world. He created the the new sect, oh, I forget the name of the sect now, that uh, started all kinds of violence in the Muslim world. All right, so they were doing the same thing in the Muslim world as they were doing in the West. And, of course, communism destroyed China as well, not just Russia, but China as well. So you can see that these secret agents that they had well-placed in all of these countries were wreaking havoc all over the world, and people don't know anything about it, because these people's names are never mentioned. Hemper? Lockhart? Who are these people? As this account must of necessity be limited to Tavistock's participation in the affair, it will not be as a complete account of the skullduggery we would like to have presented. According to Milner's private papers, his aides through Tavistock contacted a fellow socialist, Fritz Platten. Milner was a leading Fabian socialist, although he scorned Sidney and Beatrice Webb. 
It was Platten who planned the logistics of the trip and oversaw until the revolutionaries arrived in Petrograd. Okay, here's another new name, Fritz Platten. Never heard of him before. Platten, wasn't I? I more thinking about the, wasn't the Platten, wasn't that some institute in in um, in Ger- Germany that was Platten von? No, I, I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah, well, there might, he might have started some institute in Germany. Yeah. What yeah. was the institute that um, um, he that was the German, uh, the friend of yours, uh, the German that was exposing the Holocaust, uh, the use of Fritz Platz, and uh, wasn't that the institute? What was the name on the paper you used? Uh, I, uh, yeah. oh, I, I forgot his name. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure who you're talking about. But yeah, there, there's no doubt that the, all these hidden institutes, there's, so, there's millions of them, really, right? And we can't tra- keep track of them all. Yeah, so this I is how they... I forgot the name. I, I don't know, but that's apparently happened. I forgot the names, but okay. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so Fritz okay. Platt. Yeah, go ahead. I, I will continue. Yeah. Um, it was, this was confirmed and borne out by the uh, Wilhelmstrasse files, the majority of which we uh, were able to gain access to, which files were open to certain people qualified to read them. They tailored fairly closely with uh, Bruce Lockhart's account in his private papers, as well as what Lord Alfred Milner had to say about the underhanded affair that um, betrayed Russia. It appeared that Milner had many contacts among the Bolshevik um, expertitis, among them Lenin. It was uh, to Lord Milner that Lenin went when he needed money for the revolution, armed with the lectures of uh, introduction from uh, Platten. Lenin met with Lord Milner and laid down his plan for the overthrow of the Romanov and Christian Russia. Amazing. Milner agreed on condition that he could send his agent, Bruce Lockhart, to, of MI6, to supervise the day-to-day affairs and report back on Lenin. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, he needed to keep tabs on Lenin, too. Yeah, so Lord Rothschild and the Rockefellers demand that they be allowed to send Sidney Reilly to Russia to supervise transfer of Russian natural resources and the gold rubles held in the Central Bank of London. This was agreed uh, to by Lenin and later Trotsky. Okay, so Lenin was nothing but a banker's tool, right? That's all he was. And, and the communists around, and the socialists around the world, and liberals around the world, think he was a legitimate communist. <laughs> okay, to seal the bargain, Lord Milner, on behalf of the Rothschilds, gave Lenin sixty million pounds in gold, gold sovereigns, while the Rockefellers contributed around forty million dollars. Um, um, countries in co- complicity with the um, sealed train affair were Great Britain, Germany. Finland, Switzerland, and Sweden. While the United States was not directly involved, it must have been aware of what was going on. After all, on the orders of President Wilson, a brand new American passport was issued to Leon Trotsky, whose real name was Lee Bronstein, so that he could travel in peace, although Trotsky was not a U.S. citizen. <laughs> See, the Jews are internationalists. They know no borders, right? That's why they created the United Nations. So now it's interesting here. Yeah, the, the, while all this was going on, that uh, the American people were unaware of any of this, Right. And that uh, Woodrow Wilson and uh, who was his uh, advisor, another Jew, 
Woodrow Wilson had a Jewish advisor uh, who was a Rothschild agent. And House. Yes, Colonel Edward Mandel House. And, of course, the Jews are all over the British, uh, the British government. And now the reason why Germany supported this whole effort was because they were at war with Russia. So they co- cooperated with any scheme that would overthrow Russia and, and benefit Germany. Now, of course, the, the Kaiser had no idea what the end result of all this would be. Had he realized what the Jews were up to, he probably would not have supported Lenin. Okay, but he did. All right. In continuation here, Lenin and his compatriots were provided with a private, well-appointed rail carriage by the top German government functionaries and always kept locked by agreements with stations along the line. Platten was in charge, and he laid down the rules for the trip, some of which are listed in the Wilhelmstrasse files. Over to you. Um, the carriage... Um... Uh, was to remain locked for the entire trip. No one uh, could board the carriage without Platten's permission. The train would have extra uh, territorial status. No passports were to be asked at borders. Uh, Tickets would be bought at regular prices. No security issues to be raised by uh, the military or police of any country and route. Wow. Wow. So this shows you that the secrecy and the power of money working together According to the Wilhelmstrasse files, the trip was authorized and approved by General Ludendorff and Kaiser Wilhelm. Ludendorff went so far as to say that if Sweden refused to let the Bolsheviks pass, he would guarantee them passage into Russia through the German lines. As it turned out, the Swedish government raised no objection, and neither did the Finnish government. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, there is my little, that's um, unfortunately Swedish. They are very falling. They are blows at the wind blows. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They don't don't take a stance, unfortunately, anymore. Never done. It's a very long time ago since since we took stance. Yeah. And that was after we lost uh, the Vasa on the throne. Then it's been like this. Yeah, and now it's it's run by feminists, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where Where is the world going? You know, I mean, come come back, Yahshua. It's just incredible how everything is manipulated by propaganda and, and Jewish money. Yeah, but in the recent selection, if we use that word, uh, now we have a more right right wing. Uh, oh, uh, right wing um, government. Yeah, but it's still yeah. They have the the the, the biggest one now is called Sverigedemokraterna, and the ne- next biggest Moderaterna is called. But they are both liberals, and this Sverigedemokraterna is a controlled opposition. They are uh, they are full of Jews everywhere. So oh, is, you can also call them Zionist Democrats. There you go. Wow. They are the one that is sharing uh, Israel the most of them all. Uh huh. Okay. So that is not good. That so- is not good. So you have one bona fide conservative party, nationalist party? No, I wouldn't call them national. They no. are not the national. Still, they are very, they are liberal. For me, they are they are how the what to say how the uh, the moderate has been before, but they are still there. Are, I don't see control, them as national. They're also controlled opposition. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, see that this is more of a, like a Trump in Sweden. I would call it. Yes. All right. Uh, okay. Who's next? Me or you? (laughs) 
one of the notable revolutionaries who joined the train when it arrived at German frontier with Switzerland uh, was uh, Radek, um, who was to play a leading role in the bloody Bolshevik revolution. There were some lighter moments too. The Wilhelmstrasse files describes how the carriage missed its engine in Frankfurt, resulting in it being sh- uh, shunted to and fro for about <laughs> eight hours. Eighteen hours. Oh, eight hours. Sorry. Yeah. Eight hours. Sorry. Yeah. The party had to detrain in the German Baltic town of Sosnitz, where they were accorded a decent accommodation by the German government. The Swedish government kindly gave them ferry transport to Malmo, from where they sailed to Stockholm where nice accommodation awaited the Bolshevik party for an overnight layover, and then it was on to the Finnish border. So you see that every every aspect of this trip, they were getting the royal treatment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's so... Yeah, so incredible. What, yeah. I see how this, how much blood this uh, oh. uh, this Swedish... I, if I look to my own arm, the Swedish government had done by doing this. How much innocent blood they have done by by doing those those actions? That's right. It's so, and then also that Bosomia was a bit that both Lu, uh, Ludendorff and Kaiser William did give them the passage, like this that they want them to have passage. I don't yeah. know. That's kind of yeah. Yeah, and, and it's incredible. If they had any suspicion what was really going on, one of these political leaders could have done something about it. But, uh, you know, they, they had no idea. Had no idea at all. Okay. Yeah. There, the interpreted Platon left the high-spirited party, uh, and the final journey uh, into Russia was made by train to Petrograd. Thus, an epic journey that began in Zurich, uh, Switzerland, ended in Petrograd. Lenin had arrived on the scene, and Russia was about to be brought low. And uh, throughout <laughs> Bernays and uh, Lippmann and their uh, associates at Wellington's house, Tavistock, uh, kept up a steady flow of uh, brainwashing propaganda that, if it is safe to conclude, uh, duped much of the world. Okay, so the German government cooperated with Tavistock Institute to its own demise because once World War I started, all of a sudden the Germans were Hessians who, uh, you know, uh, threw uh, threw babies up in the air and caught them on their bayonets, right? <laughs> okay. Had Kaiser Wilhelm had better intelligence, he could have prevented this, but he didn't. Chapter 2. Europe falls off the precipice. Europe, after World War One and the close of the Bolshevik Revolution, was forced to change according to the Tavistock blueprint. When, thanks to the British-engendered and instigated First World War, Europe fell off a precipice into the end of their world, or perhaps it might be more appropriate to say, shambled along like zombies. We're still zombies today, folks. Until the last of the era vanished into the darkness of the abyss, the forced changes became very much apparent. And and Michael, nothing has changed since. No. Uh, Now, let's see. So I off the match there. Now I lost a bit. We're... Chapter 2, page 9, second paragraph. Oh, thank you. Okay. Um, this is not a book about First World War, per se. Hundreds of thousands of words have been written about the cause and effects of the greatest tragedy ever to befall mankind. And yet, 
it has not been adequately addressed and probably never will be. One thing that may writers myself include uh, are agreed on. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, a lot of uh, non-traditional you know, conspiratologists have written books about World War One, which show that it was manipulated by the Rothschilds, right? The, the purpose being to gain control of Palestine, which they failed to do in World War One, And uh, then they had to have a second World War in which they did finally obtain control of Palestine. Uh, only conservative right-wing and conspiratologist writers have ever addressed these issues. Okay, let's continue. The war was started by Great Britain out of sheer hatred of Germany's rapid progress toward becoming a major economic power in competition against Britain, and Lord Edward Grey was the principal architect of the war. That it was unpopular and not approved uh, of by a large minority of the British people called for special measures, a new department to handle the challenges. In essence, that is the reason why Wellington House came into existence. Uh-huh, okay. From such a small beginning, it progressed into the gargantuan Tavistock Institute of Human Relations by 2005, the world's premier brainwashing institution and a most sinister force that it will have to be confronted and put out of business if the United States is to survive as a constitutional republic with a republican form of government guaranteed to the 50 states is the considered opinion of a number of members of the U.S. Senate who were consulted in preparation for this book but who asked not to be named. Okay. Uh, well, maybe we can... Uh, maybe we can direct some sabotage of the Tavistock Institute. However... It's even bigger than Tavistock now, right? I mean, if, if if somehow we were able to destroy the United Nations building, which is a Trojan horse on American soil, and the Tavistock Institute, which is a Trojan horse, horse on British soil, they have such uh, organizations in every country now. Yeah, they're okay. probably spread it now so well also. Yeah. So th- th- I, this is so sinister and so secret that people would have no idea what to do, right? There's so much sabotage going on all over the world. All right. Okay. Uh, So, the aftermath of the First World War and the failed attempts to form a League of Nations served only to emphasize the gap between the old Western civilization and the new. The economic disaster of post-war Germany hung like... the smoke um, from a funeral uh, period over Western culture, adding to the small and um, a sad and fearful climate that began in uh, the 1920s. Yes, so all of this goes to show that uh, the third woe was indeed the fall of Christian Europe and the Christian West to Rothschild deceit. So there's simply no doubt about that. Uh, I forget the name of the author who wrote about it first, but uh, yeah, his his uh, analysis is absolutely right. All right, let's continue. Historians agree that all of the combatants suffered economic ravage to a varying degree, although Russia was somewhat spared, only to be destroyed by the Bolsheviks, while Germany and Austria were the hardest hit. A strange kind of a forced gaiety descended on Europe in the 1920s, in which I include Britain, and the United States, 
It was put down to rebellious youth and people generally being sick of war and politics. In point of fact, people were reacting to the long-range penetration and interdirectional conditioning of the masters at Tavistock. Yeah, well, the flappers here in America, I don't know to what extent that phenomenon uh, occurred in Europe, like in Sweden. Okay. All right. Okay. It says we're streaming. Can you okay. hear us, folks? All right. That that was odd. In the middle of the show, the mixing board failed. <laughs> okay. All right. So. Do you hear? Do you hear me now? Now I'm now coming. I hear you perfectly. Okay. okay so the question is: does, does the audience hear us? Hearing sound? Okay. We're back on the air, folks. Uh, man, we've <laughs> we've had so many. Technical failures in recent weeks is unbelievable. All right, so where were we? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at now. Uh, flappers, you asked me, and then I don't, I didn't know about the flappers, and I don't, I don't think we oh, did have. Right. Okay. So uh, the, the the flapper movement was uh, is, is really strange. It was basically because so many of uh, American men died in World War One. There were a few husbands to come back to America for these flappers. Okay, so this whole degrading flapper movement, uh, which was, I think, the real beginning of feminism in America, they they were kind of girls girls gone wild, (laughs) right after World War One, right, and uh, so it was primarily based on music. Uh, they went out to nightclubs and danced and drank and partied and began smoking, etc., etc. That's the flapper movement. Okay, uh-huh. that, but that is basically how women are today. So, well, yeah, I mean, the women, you know, who are materialistic are basically the same as flappers today, right? Yeah, and women are very, very, uh, very suspect. About to say, they are very, uh, they fall for that. They yeah. like right. And they also wore very provocative clothing for the day, right? But uh, you can see that a lack of men for for husband uh, husband potential was the main problem there. And that, who who caused that problem? Jewish war. There you go. Absolutely. So you can see how war negatively affects our culture at every possible opportunity. Okay. All right. So let's get back to it. Uh, and. Uh, we can start on. Uh, I think we can start here. I can start here. Okay. The war was started by Great Britain out of sheer hatred of Germany's rapid progress toward becoming a major economic power in competition against Britain. And Lord Edward Grey was the principal architect of the war. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm. Uh, I'm not with you. Uh, keep reading until I find out where you're at. Uh, page uh, nine. Okay. I can continue. Uh, that it was unpopular and not approved of by a large minority of British people called for special measures, a new department to handle the challenge. In essence, that is the reason why Wellington House came into existence. Yes. Okay, so from such a small beginning, it progressed into the gargantuan Tavistock Institute of Human Relations by 2005, the world's premier brainwashing institution and a most sinister force, that will have to be confronted and put out of business if the United States is to survive as a constitutional republic with a republican form of government guaranteed to the 50 states is the considered 
opinion of members of a number of members of the U.S. Senate who were consulted in preparation for this book, but who asked not to be named. I, I guess most people didn't hear. I was reciting that, not realizing they had uh, lost sound. Okay, back to you. Yeah, no, I, I remember that too. So, yeah. off the match of the First World War, um, the failed attempts to form a League of Nations served only to emphasize the gap between the old Western civilization and the new. The economic disaster of post-war Germany hung like the smoke from a funeral uh, pier mm. over Western culture, adding... Yes. This um, this mall and sad and fearful climate that uh, began in the 1920s. Yeah, lost time. <laughs> yeah, and so we can see that the perfidious Jew bankrolling all of this uh, spy spying and subversion and degeneracy, just raking in the profits from all of this degeneracy and war. That's unbelievable. You know if. It seems like only us in identity have any comprehension of how evil the Jews really are. Most people just don't get it, okay? Historians agree that all of the combatants suffered economic ravage of varying degrees, although Russia was somewhat spared, only to be destroyed by the Bolsheviks, while Germany and Austria were the hardest hit. A strange kind of forced gaiety descended upon Europe, in the 1920s, in which I include Britain and the United States, it was put down to rebellious youth and people generally being sick of war and politics. In point of fact, people were reacting to the long-range penetration and interdirectional conditioning of the masters of Tavistock, and that's when I brought up the flappers. Over to you. Yeah. And in the period between the end of World War II and 1935... No, World uh, War I. World War One. sorry, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they were as much shell shocked as we are. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We're we're all still shell shocked. We're, we're like the, uh, we're the deer in the headlights, <laughs> right? Yeah. We had survived the hell of the trenches with a shot and shell flying all around them. Only now it was economic shock and shell and vast changes in social mores that numbered their senses. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Talk about degenerating into materialism. That was the aftermath of World War One. But the end result of the treatment was the same. People threw discretion to the winds, and the moral rot that was set in motion in 1918 is ongoing and gathering momentum. In the state of forced gaiety, nobody saw the coming of the world economic crash and subsequent world depression. Okay, it just occurred to me that uh, uh, Coleman is ignoring what happened in Germany. After World War One, it was actually very similar, you know. But it was even more degenerate. The Weimar Republic. Talk about degeneracy, Jewish-led degeneracy. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. That was that was how I don't know. That was where Babylon was at that time before World War Two, I would say. And now it has transformed to America, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. It just wasn't as bad here in America because Germany was so horribly affected by World War One that it never recovered. It still hasn't recovered yet. No, no. Now it's very my my goofiness what it has been <laughs> degenerated into. I don't know. Where they sell drugs in the local bob, pubs. They sell, uh, come on. It is, and a lot of... Uh, would you say uh, easy clothed women's everywhere on those uh, right. strip clubs and stuff like this? It says, Yeah, bizarre. hard times, <laughs> yeah. right? Hard times produce degeneracy. 
You could probably you know, make, make that into a universal law, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. And it is agreed by most historians that this condition was engineered, and we are led to believe that Tavso played a role in the feverish publicity campaigns of various uh, factions in that period, in support of our uh, contention that the, uh, that the crash and depression was a contrived event. See appendix of events. Okay, maybe we'll get to that. Uh, we'll see how, how much of this book we can actually broadcast. Spengler foretold what was to happen as it, run, it turns out his predictions were amazingly accurate. Quote, Decadent society and loose women characterized by the flappers and men in coats fitted with hip flasks. <laughs> that wasn't common in those days, right? Well, alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. I think marijuana came on the scene between the two world wars, right? And, and other drugs, right? So, yeah, I mean, drug usage, uh, indecency, everything, everything that's conceivably anti-Christian was being promoted by mass media, right? So the flapper, so the flapper phenomenon actually happened in Germany as well. It was just overshadowed by the sheer magnitude of the degeneracy of the Weimar Republic and, of course, the hyperinflation. But that, that was going on in Germany too, okay? So... Uh, let me continue here. And men in coats with fitted with hip flasks who demanded and got a lessening of female modesty that came in with higher hemlines, bobbed hair, and excessive makeup, women smoking and drinking in public. As money became harder to come by and soup kitchen and unemployment lines grew longer, hemlines grew shorter. While the writings of Sinclair Lewis, Escott Fitzgerald, James Joyce, and D.H. Lawrence drew gasps, the latest Broadway shows and nightclub acts revealed a lot more of women's hidden charms than ever before and put them out on public display. And, of course, the worst was in Weimar, Germany. The absolute worst was in Weimar, Germany. Yeah. It was noted by fashion designers in 1919, <laughs> New York Magazine, that uh, hemlines this year are six inches from the ground and very <laughs> only six inches. Okay, <laughs> all right. Chapter three. Uh, and yes, that is exactly what come back back now. These short shirts that girls are using. This has come back again. It yeah. again. It comes back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, immodesty is the, is the uh, rule of fashion, right? Immodesty. Yeah. Okay. All right. Chapter three, page thirteen. How times were made to change, but what was only that was only the beginning. In 1935, with Hitler rising to power, guaranteed by the impossible conditions forced upon Germany at Versailles, hemlines were also rising to the dizzy height of the knees. Except in Germany, where Hitler was demanding modesty from German womanhood and getting it, along with wholesome respect, which did not suit Tavistock's book. Playbook, I think he meant to say. Okay. Well, okay. So what I'm getting from uh, Coleman here is that uh, Hitler threw, uh, was a fly in the ointment and uh, stood stood in the, in the path of Tavistock. Over to you. Yes. Uh, people who stopped to think at all said they hated the way 
times are changing. But uh, what they did not and could not know was that times were be, uh, being made to change according to a careful laid out Tavistock formula. Everywhere else in Europe and America, the revolt was on as an emancipation fever spread. Yeah, emancipation. Yeah, degeneracy. In the United States, it was silent screen idols who led the way, but this was no match with what was happening in Europe, where every single pleasure was being indulged in, including homosexuality, that had long been hidden in the darkness and never mentioned in polite society. Uh, homosexuality emerged alongside le- lesbianism to shock disgust, and, in- and it seemed to deliberately affront those who still lingered in the old order. A study of this aberration showed that homosexuality and lesbianism became rampant not out of any inner or latent desire, but as a means of shocking the old establishment with its rigid codes of good order. Music, too, suffered and went to the dogs in all manner of jazz and other decadent forms. Uh, Tavistock was now in the most crucial stage of developing its plan that called for womanhood to be reduced to a lessening standard of morality and of feminine behavior never thought possible. Nations were in a state of numbness, shell-shocked by the radical changes forced upon them, which seemed impossible to stop, in which to uh, which a complete absence of female modesty reflected in learning behavioral attitudes that made the 1920s and 30s look like a ladies' Sunday school teachers' uh, convention. There was no stopping the sexual revolution that swept the world during the era and the planned degradation of womanhood that went with it. Okay, so this brings to mind uh, Paul's prophecy in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that the world would be... Uh, totally engulfed by uh, propaganda, right? Uh, the stupor of the, the book, the Apocalypse of Baruch, that the world would be in a, uh, in a kind of stupor, walking around in a daze, right? And that's what we've got. Some voices were heard, notably G.K. Chesterton and Oswald Spengler, but it was not enough to blunt the assault launched by Tavistock Institute that had, in effect, declared war on Western civilization. The effects of long-range penetration and interdirectional conditioning were everywhere to be observed. The moral, spiritual, racial, economic, and cultural and intellectual bankruptcy we are in the midst of today is not some social phenomenon or the result of something abstract or sociological that just happened. Rather, it was the outcome of a carefully planned Tavistock program. What we are seeing is not accidental, some um, aberration of history. Rather, it is the end product of a deliberately induced social and moral crisis um, evident everywhere. And such uh, personages as Mike Jagger, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Britney Spears, reality television shows, music uh, seemingly an uh, amalgam of every base instinct, Fox News, Fox News, near pornographic movies in mainstream theaters, um, advertising in which modesty and decency are cast to the winds, loud on couch, behavior in public places, especially in America, restaurants, uh, Katie Couric and a a host other of uh, female non-entities 
suddenly created to become highly paid television anchors or talk show hosts, uh, all of whom have been trained to talk in a in a hard and um, grainy, uh, granting uh, monotonous voices, totally lacking in uh, cadence, as if talking through um, clenched jaws. Yeah, like a, Joe Biden. <laughs> right. In a manner that is harsh, um, strident, and hard on the ears. Whereas television news readers and uh, Anshio Ackerman Anchorman had yeah. always been met suddenly. Uh, there were no more than a dozen men in the field. Yeah, All right. So this uh, manufactured ambition, uh, a feminist ambition, you know, which found uh, its play in the newsroom, you know, and of course uh, in Hollywood, Hollywood and televised news, no doubt about it. We see it in non-entity stars in the movie industry that churn out movies of an increasingly low cultural standard. We see it also in the glorification of interracial marriages, divorce on demand, abortion, and blatant homosexual and lesbian behavior in the loss of religious beliefs and in Western civilization family life. Such stars are Ellen DeGeneres, who have subsequently no talent, <laughs> absolutely no talent, and nothing of any cultural value to offer, are held up as models for impressionable young girls who are increasingly on parade with as much as 75% of their bodies exposed. We see it in a massive increase in drug addiction and all manner of social evil, as in Canada's passing laws, making homosexual and lesbian marriage legal, under the threadbare guise of civil rights. And, and I, I have to say that the behavior of women on television uh, is just awful. Absolutely. I mean, it couldn't be any worse. You know, I mean, not, not only are they feminists and immoral and, and uh, uh, pro-abortion, all this has been manufactured, folks. This book really reveals how it's been manufactured. Back to you, Michael. We see it in wholesale corruption of the political system and constitutional mayhem, where the House and Senate permit flagrant violations of the highest law in the land at every level of government and nowhere more so than in the executive branch of government, where every president since Roosevelt has taken powers, which the president is not entitled. We see it in the illicit um, taking of war powers by the president when such powers are explicitly denied to the executive by the U.S. Constitution. Yes, and uh, what's the, uh, who was the Jeffrey, no, not, well, Jeffrey Epstein was involved. Who was the uh, Jewish movie producer that was seducing all these women, you know, and it started the hashtag Me Too movement? What's his name? It's old news now, right? Right, of course, he was Jewish. Right, and so every possible means of dividing the genders is being exploited by the international Jew, and it's like, can the two sexes ever regain their natural state? Not under the conditions we are living under now. Uh, I think uh, he said it: the Tavistock Institute has to be destroyed. But you're also you have to destroy, destroy the international banking, the, the the fractional reserve banking system, 
that that is the source of all this evil because it finances it all. Back to you. Yeah. So even if you get rid of it, they will just uh, finance a new one if you get rid of it. So it's right. back. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all Jewish. The whole Jewish, the Edomite control of our planet, prophesied by by Isaac when he refused to bless Esau. Said there will become a time when you will have the dominion over Jacob, and that's what we're in right now. Right? We are subject to Edom for these end times. So our challenge is to remain steady, true in the faith, even though the world around us is totally collapsing, and it almost has totally collapsed. The the only thing the Rothschilds still have left, and what they have to try to do, is maintain control of society while the economic system collapses. Right? Can they do it? I don't think they can. Because as the society collapses, their control of society collapses. All right? That's the chance you take when you try manipulating society to to the point of its destruction. Yeah, and a comment from Istis that this that is this economic system that we have now, that is the glue of this society today. When that disappears, it will go mayhem, it will be Mad Max. Right. Yeah, Mad Max. Uh, when, was that a role played by Mel Gibson, <laughs> or was that somebody else? Right. Just similarity how it will be when when this system when they try to restart it. I think it will go Mad Max. Yes. Okay. Uh, next paragraph is yours, I believe. We see in it wholesale corruption. Um, we see it in a new. A new dimension of constitutional disobedience added to the ugly list of laws, not empowered by the Constitution, one of the most recent and most shocking being the U.S. Supreme Court's blatant exceeding of its powers in breaking down states' rights and electing George Bush, the genre. As uh, and now Biden, of course, yeah. This had to be one of the most savage blows struck against Constitution in the grossest... Um, uh, contraven- um, contravention of the Tenth Amendment uh, to the U.S. Constitution in the history of the United States. Yet, so dazed and shell-shocked are the American people that no protest was voiced, no mass demonstrations, no calls for Supreme Court to be reigned uh, in. Uh, in this one incident alone, the power of Tavistock's long-range penetration uh, and inner-directional conditioning proven to be a huge triumph. Well, we can see that the cultural revolution of the 1960s, not just in America, but all over the Western world, was now very obviously a product of Tavistock Institute. No, this condition of disintegration of our republic in which we find ourselves in 2005 did not simply evolve. Rather, it is the end product of a carefully planned social engineering brainwashing project of immense proportions. The truth is reflected in the death throes of what was once the greatest nation on earth. (laughs) Sad to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, The psychological conditioning uh, papers written by the social scientists at Tavistock are working well. Your reaction is a program one. You cannot think in any other way unless you make a supreme effort. Oh, yeah. Coming out from uh, underneath all this programming, all this brainwashing is an immense task. Nor can you take steps to free yourself from this condition unless you can first identify the enemy and his plan for the dissolution of the United States and Europe in particular and the Western world in general. 
That enemy is called the Tavistock Institute for Human Relations. No, it's the International Jew. And it has been at war with Western civilization since its earliest days before it found form and substance at Wellington House and from there evolved into its present facilities at Sussex University. Huh. Oh, and the Tavistock Clinic in London. Before I unmasked this institution in 1969, it was unknown in the United States. It is without doubt the world's premier brainwashing social engineering establishment. Uh, I think we have time for the last paragraph. Over to you. Yes. We shall see what it achieved in its early days in pre-World War I, England, and since then um, in the run-up of World War II and post-World War II. Uh, to the present time, during World War II, the Tavistock Institute had, uh, was headquartered um, at the British Army Psychological Warfare Division. We have um, covered its history during its for- formative years at Wellington House, and we, we, we now proceed to the pre-World War II and post-World War II activities. Yes. Okay, so what's going on is that the international Jew, through these various financial institutions and brainwashing institutions, which includes the universities, the entire school system, uh, Hollywood, entertainment in general, uh, news, fake news, fake news, and more fake news, have really brainwashed an entire planet. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's the long and the short of it. They have brainwashed. It's an entire uh, uh, campaign of deceit that very few people suspect because we have... And the Jews are doing a masterful job of preventing our side of the story from getting out so that there really is no contradiction of their their propaganda. Uh, almost non-existent. Yeah. Right? That's the situation we're yeah. in. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Okay, Michael. Good job. This is a very important book. Fortunately, it's available free online. I encourage everybody to download it and read it for themselves. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. There can't be much time left before the second coming, folks. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, Michael. Yahweh bless. Yahweh bless. Goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Be 